This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. This morning's subtopic on this Father's Day Sunday, the subtopic we're working from is this. If not you, then who? And if not now, then when? There's a point in all of our lives that we have to recognize the moment. And ladies and gentlemen, in the summer of 2016, while I know you're being pulled on by so many different things, your moment's now. We started our first week's lesson in this series with the subtopic of don't miss your moment. Well, we're just going to flow with this. We're continuing this. Last week, we talked about living as you, who you could be, not as who you think you might be now. But look at the potential that God has in your life. But then we even came back behind that and talked about treating other people the way they can be instead of who they are now. Think about what all of us can be when Jesus is in the middle of our hearts. Can I get an amen? Amen. So let's go into it today. Romans chapter 8 will be our text. Romans chapter number 8, and we will look at verse number 28 through 31. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Verse number 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom did he predestinate them he also called, and whom he called them he also justified, and whom he justified then he also glorified. Look at verse number 31, and I want us to we're going to conclude with, with reading aloud in here just a moment. So everybody get focused on verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? Now let us read this together. Let's ask ourselves this question, everybody. Come with me now. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now let's make it personal. Why don't you just say this about yourself? If, if God is for me, then what can be against me? If God is for me, matter of fact, let's go even further. Let's declare this. Say, God is for me. me. So what can be against me? That's right. Man, let's buy into the word of the Lord this morning for a few minutes, and let's settle the issue that God is on your side. So when it comes down to it, what in the world can handle that? What in the world and the things of the world can stand a chance against you getting to where God wants you to be because God has you right where he wants you? Matter of fact, the video was about our earthly fathers, but I'm going to speak a word over somebody this morning. The heavenly father is telling you, you've got this because he's got you. When he has you, you've got this. I think I'm going to preach that sometime. Maybe now, who knows? All right, 1932 was the year. World Series. Are there any Cubs fans in the house? You're a lonely man. Was there more than just Terry? I didn't see. Were there other hands in Terry? 
Everybody else is just too embarrassed to admit it, Terry. The Cubs were playing the Yankees. Are there any Yankees fans in the house? Repent, I say unto thee. Repent, I say unto thee. Oh, we cast out these foul spirits in the name of the Lord. (laughs) It was the Cubs and the Yankees, 1932. The series was tied. The series was tied a game apiece. It's the third game of the series, and that third game happened to be tied four to four. Charlie Root was throwing the ball for the Cubs, and none other than the babe himself, Babe Ruth, stepped to the plate. Some of you have heard the story, but boy, does it ever stay fresh. Babe Ruth stepped to the plate. He, he, he dug his cleats in into the batter's box, got his position, took strike one, and the crowd started to murmur. Oh, I can't believe it, babe, strike one. Oh, man, what's this going to be like? Babe takes strike two, and they go from murmuring to heckling him real good. Well, he's the babe, right? He's not Tommy or George or Susan. He's the babe, Babe Ruth. He steps out of the box, Stan. I'm glad you're in town this weekend, Stan. He gets out of the box, and he takes his bat, probably knocks his cleats a little bit, and he starts thinking about the situation. He's down. It's two strikes. And Stan, uh, he, he, Babe Ruth takes his bat, and he points to center field. And the whole crowd pauses, and they're thinking, what's, what's he doing? What's he see out there? What is he pointing at? And he just holds that bat. Babe Ruth gets back in the box, takes his bat position, and the very next pitch, he takes it yard 440 feet over center field. In other words, the brother called his shot. Check it out this morning. Legends. Legends are created in all of our minds and in all of our hearts when someone makes a bold prediction but then follows it up with bold action. Everybody can make predictions. Shoot, I predicted that I would win yesterday's golf tournament. It didn't happen. Anybody can make predictions. You know what I mean? But only a handful of people can make bold, crazy predictions and follow it up with bold actions. And I just want to start this sermon out with today. is If it's not you that's going to do that, then who's going to be the one that makes a bold prediction? And if it's not now, then who's going to come up and set the stage for what God can do in someone's life? Are we always going to want to look for a Babe Ruth or could it be the one sitting on the pew at Calvary Church at 1145 I just have a few minutes. 11.45 on a Sunday morning. If it's not you, then who's it going to be? I don't know how you feel about this, but I want it to be me. And I want it to be you. But here's what I know I'm up against. And I know what you're up against. The world and the enemy of our future says there's no way it's going to be you. You're not a legend. You don't have, you, you're not ever going to amount to anything. You're never going to make anything of your life. And guess what we do? We believe the things of the world more than we believe the word of God. The enemy of your life wants to tell you, your marriage, it's going to be, uh, uh, your, your marriage is going to be one for the ages. That's what the world wants to say. But God is telling you that when God is for you, then any marriage bump in the road is not going to win the victory. Any setback in your marriage doesn't have to be fatal. 
I know what the enemy wants to say. You financially are going to change the world with your giving to the work of God. You on your little income. That's what the enemy wants to say. But when God is for you, then what kind of what numerical system can hold you back from being an incredible giver? Because it's not about the amount. It's about the generosity of the heart anyway. The world wants to hold you back while God is saying, I want to take you up. And if it's not you, then who? And if it's not now, then when? Someone say, carpe diem. Matter of fact, just, just be like me. Take your hand right here, make a fist and go, yes. Doesn't feel good? Hopefully you did not hit the person in front of you. That wouldn't have gone over well. Yes. Carpe diem. I heard this uh, statement made the other day. Pastor Manny, you were actually with me when we heard this made uh, a couple weeks ago in a conference setting we were at. Uh, One of the speakers made this statement. It's so good. I wrote it down. I was looking for a way to use it, and I think right now is a good opportunity. Heroes are not born. They're cornered. They're cornered. Listen, y'all don't understand my language? Cornered. Cornered. Lord, folks, learn how to talk. Get yourself a good dose of Southern terminology. Cornered. And y'all expect me to preach like this. Come on. <laughs> he wrote, Denor's like, baby, you're on the clock. Keep preaching. Quit, quit getting distracted, baby. Come on. Stay focused, Tommy. Stay focused. You just stay there and look pretty and let me preach. Heroes. Heroes come out of the corner when everybody else says he's done. Heroes arrive. When everyone else says, I would quit, heroes keep going. Legends and heroes. And the reason I can preach like this to all of us in this room is because scripture says that you have a destiny. A destiny. Romans 8 and 29 that we're going to preach from here. You have a destiny about you. But you cannot take that theological truth and, and, and perceive it to mean that you can be lazy about your destiny. Because it's going to be God. God's going to take you places, but you're going to have to go. God's calling, but you have to answer. <laughs> God's setting you up with divine appointments, but you've got to make the appointment. You've got to show up. Anybody ever miss something important? <clears throat> I missed a phone call the other day, and I actually didn't miss it. I screened it. Boy, was I dumb. About three months ago, somebody was calling me with an opportunity of a lifetime for what, what's important to me. You know, I mean, I was thinking, wow, if there's anything I would have liked to have been a part of, it was that. And they made the phone call. I'm like, nah, not right now. I got more important things to do, you know. I mean, I didn't take that phone call. And if I would have taken the call, things would have changed for me. It would have been awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, God's calling every day. He's calling us every day to go higher in him, to see more of him, 
to experience more of him. And we're so trapped in this world's ways. We think that, that work is so important. We think that, that play is so important. We think the things of this world are so critical. We can't miss this. We can't miss that. And God's saying, if you'll come away from that, I'm going to show you how small that really is. But you have to say yes to the calling. The Holy Spirit is wanting to take you into your future, but you're going to have to stay in step with the Spirit or you'll be stuck in yesterday. Someone say amen this morning. <clears throat> doesn't matter if it's sports history like Babe Ruth or if it's your history. When it comes down to it, you and I are going to have to seize the moment. Romans 8 and 29, let's spend a few minutes on this. He also did predestinate to be conformed. Predestinate, conformed. Two incredible words. All of us have had the discussion before with someone, whether it be in a classroom setting or over a cup of coffee with the age-old debate of nature versus nurture. All of us have had that discussion. You've had the discussion even if you didn't know it was called nature and nurture debate. You've all wondered, uh, do things just happen like this or do things become like this? How, what's the answer? Well, I believe it's a little bit of both. Just as I believe there's the sovereignty of God, but I also believe that you and I have a free will. Let me jack with some of you really quick. God in his omniscience, he already knows. But you yet to have gotten there to make the decision. So the sovereignty of God is in full control of even your tomorrows. If God wills and you make it another three years, he's already there and already has it all understood. Y'all going to chew on this for a while, ain't you? But yet you're not there yet, but he already knows how you're going to get to being where you are. It's the sovereignty of God, but yet he gives you the free will to shape it out. He gives you the ability to make all these choices that you're making, whether to worship in service or whether to Facebook in service, whether to even go to service, whether to show up at work tomorrow or think I'm done with that job and lose your job. He gives you these decisions. He gives you the choices. Am I going to stay faithful in this marriage or am I going to step out of my covenant? He, you're, he gives you all of this free will, but yet he already understands what's happening. This word predestinate really partners well with this word of nature and the nature-nurture struggle. So however things come about, you have a choice in it. But then this word conformed has something to do with nurture, but yet it requires work. Let me just, let me just wrap it up with this. Y'all ready? Pray like everything depends on God, but work like everything depends on you. Pray like you have no control over anything. So God, bless this, bless that. God, I need you here, I need you there. My dependency is upon you, God. I can't control anything, Lord. You have full control, so therefore, God, get in the driver's seat of my life and take me where you want to take me. But yet you got to partner that with work to get to where God's wanting to take you. Y'all want to go a little further? 
Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, one portion of theology would like to say, I can't work for my salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God's grace. And someone say amen. I'm going to say it again in case you said amen just to say amen, not knowing what you said amen to. Salvation is a free work of God's grace. I cannot work for my salvation. Someone say amen. amen. I can't work for it, but once I receive it, I can work from it. And I'm called on to work on it. In other words, whenever I get the heavenly touch of forgiveness of my sins, I now have to go and work at trying to keep myself from going back to where he brought me from. It was only God's grace that gets me out of a sinful lifestyle. But guess what? Now I've got to keep myself in the honoring of what God has done. Now let me just tackle a subject matter real quick. And I very seldom try to do this on Sundays. This is more like a, a Wednesday type topic for me. I like to talk to my friends that are, are guests on Sundays. But if you'll let me just mention something to all of us as believers today, all of our church members. This is the danger of the false doctrine of once you come to Jesus and you're saved that you can just live however you want to live. And no matter what, you're just covered by the grace of God. That's not biblical. You have to work from where God has brought you from in order for you. Now, it's not on your goodness. It's not on your goodness. But you cannot come out of sin by the grace of Jesus and then just get back in sin on Monday because, hey, man, it's all good. That's not, that's not how grace works. Grace actually says, the price that I paid for your sin, you'll never want to go back to that. So, therefore, you allow the righteousness of Jesus in you to start changing your life. You didn't pay the price to get out of jail, but you sure enough want to throw away those keys and get moving forward. Make it, you understand what I'm saying? Somebody clap your hands this morning a little bit. Check it out. Check it out this way. If you're doing time, okay, and nobody raise your hand if you're familiar with that, but if you're doing time, <laughs> anytime I say that, I get nervous. The brother's going to be like, he's telling the truth, y'all. Been out three days. I can vouch for the preacher. He's real. Uh, Check it out. If you're doing time and you got your little jumpsuit on like everybody else is wearing, your favorite color's orange, you know, and you get out, you don't want to roll the streets with that outfit on. You change your garment. Well, when you come to Jesus, he gets you out, but then you've got to change the way you're living, change the way you're walking, talking, living. Somebody say amen. So you work from what Jesus has done. You work out. Any, any, I know someone right over here is going to have to say amen on this. Anybody like going to the gym and working out? You better raise your hand. There you go. There you go. If y'all want to feel awful about your physique, follow my friend on Facebook with her doing her little push-ups and her little crunches and eat. Eating all healthy. Well, I'll be sitting there at a red light with a quarter pound and some fries. And I'm like, well, it's a red light. I'm going to check my phone. Oh, there she is again working out. I go scripture on it, boy. I say, get thee behind me, Satan. 
I see you, Dylan. Dylan likes to work out. That boy's got big old pipes. Hey, you do not get fit by being lazy physically. And all of us that are lazy physically said, uh, I, we do not work out our salvation by being lazy in the things of God. Your faith is like a muscle. And if it's going to get stronger, then you've got to work it out. You can't just get saved and stay lazy because you're gonna, that fire is going to go out over time. You might be saved and go to heaven, but you're never going to go higher in Jesus. And where Jesus is wanting you to take, take you, remember Romans 8 and 29, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to show you your destiny, but then he says, and I'm going to conform you to the image of the Son. I'm going to conform you to Jesus Christ. If we're going to start out trying to be like Jesus, we can't just get saved and think, oh, yeah. I'm like the Lord. No, you're not. You still got the same hang-ups, the same issues, the same temptations, the same thoughts that you had before he saved you. When you're saved, that doesn't make you perfect. That makes you saved eternally. But while you're still here, you're going to have to figure out how to be a husband, figure out how to be a daddy, figure out how to be a good employee, figure out how to be honest, figure out how to have values and morals, character, integrity. Are you tracking with me? 12 o'clock. All right, let's keep moving. You're going to have to figure out how to preach quicker. All right, let's jump topics real quick. My uh, former youth pastor, when I was a kid uh, in, in my little church in Louisiana, my youth pastor, he's now part of my life as a, as a, as a role model, as an adult. He has this little thing he says that every single one of us in the room, Jacob, all of us here today have a need for other people. We will be limited on how far we can go without other people. We need these directions in our life. We need an up line. We need a down line. And we need a side line. We need someone on our left We need someone on our right speaking into our lives and doing life with us, hanging out with us, doing life with us, crying with us, laughing with us. But on the upline, we need someone speaking into our life, pouring into our life, coaching us, pulling us higher. But then we need a downline that we're pulling up someone to come higher. We're speaking into their life. Are you catching this? Someone recently, uh, I had this thought come through my mind, and I hope I do a good enough job explaining it. I had a gentleman in our church recently tell me about the blessings of God in his life from a business model. Some of you are familiar with this, and I'm not opening it up for opinions on, on, on the good, bad, or ugly of these business models, but there are business models that focus on building down lines. His blessings were from the strengthening of his downline. Are you tracking with me? Now, let me help somebody with this spiritually. Man, this is good. Am I ever grateful for the Lord showing me little nuggets like this? While his mouth is moving about building a business model downline, as a pastor, I started seeing it very clearly. My job in my relationship with Jesus, now that I'm saved, my job is to find people 
that I can pour into the very thing that's been poured into me from the Lord. I'm now pouring into someone else. And when their blessings are multiplied, my blessings are just crazy multiplied. Let me do it this way, okay? Now, part of this, part of this is business, but I'm not trying to focus on the business. The better I do as a pastor, the better he is as a bishop. Now, I know that's part business because it's our occupations. But I mean from a spiritual point. The more I know about the Word of God, the closer I am to Jesus, the more he shines as a bishop because he's brought me up like a baby. Now, let's just have some fun. The more Pastor Manny preaches the Word of God and the more students that come to know Jesus, the more students that are baptized in water, the more students that feel a call of God on their life, the better I am as a pastor. The better I am as a pastor, the better he is as a bishop. And it goes on and on and on. So I ask all of you in the room, especially our men on Father's Day, who's in your spiritual downline? I know that you have some that are your biological children. You've got sons and daughters. Some of you are guardians over other children. You have those that are, are eating at your table, that are sleeping in your house, that you are, are, are paying their way through life. But are you paying just money or are you investing the things of God? Because I will tell you, our children are our legacy. And the more our children know the things of God, I believe that that downline will just be multiplied in us if we're looking for our absolute greatest conforming to the ways of Jesus. It comes from building a strong spiritual downline. So I want you to ask your neighbor real quick before we get to a closing point. Ask your neighbor, say, who are you pouring your life into? Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you investing in? That's right, Keith. Keith, it's a good example. I just happened to look over here and Keith pointed to Keith Jr. And that's a good example. Keith Jr., pick everything you can up from your father. Let him pour into you. Because if, if the Lord wills, one day you'll have a son or a daughter. And everything that he's pouring into you will be passed on. And you talk about generational blessings. I look at the churches, uh, one of our finest musicians we've ever had. I look at Jeff and I look at Heather. It's almost like bookends on a pew. And right between them are Eli and Sadie. Two of the most precious children in this church. But can I tell you something? They're not just precious on their own. They're precious because of Jeffrey and Heather, and then they're precious because of Jeff's family and Heather's family. It's generational. So on a Father's Day nugget in the middle of a series sermon, can I just ask all the fathers in the room, are we just being fathers and providers or are we being daddies that are building a spiritual downline? One of the worst things about Father's Day sermons are they beat the daddies up. I'm not beating a daddy up in this room. I'm pulling a daddy up today telling you that we have the most wonderful opportunity that God will ever give us if we will carpe diem, if we will look in our baby's eyes, how matter the age, no matter where they live, no matter the relationship as it is now, if you'll see the opportunity that God's given you, let's pour into them because that's our spiritual downline. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord this morning. All right, let me close today. Let me close. 
The 26th president of the United States, Mr. Teddy Roosevelt, was a man's man. I'm telling you, this brother was bad. He was so bad that he would build, construct, implement into the White House a boxing ring. I ain't making this up. Teddy Roosevelt put a boxing ring in the White House. All the security guards, all the Secret Service were like, you can't do this. You can't put a boxing ring. He put a boxing ring in and challenged anybody to get in it because he'd whip them. President of the United States, man. You think, I mean, he's supposed to be sitting in the Oval Office pushing paper. My brother was in the, in the boxing ring like, who wants some? I'm Teddy. I'm Teddy. Teddy was wanting to fight. History tells us, if you read up on this, it's hilarious. Teddy Roosevelt was so bad, he would fight anybody, anytime, anywhere, especially in the White House, in his boxing ring, so much so that he lost vision in one of his eyes in one of the matches and never told anybody about it. He never saw it coming. <laughs> lost his vision, lost his vision. Somebody right now is like, oh, I just got that. I wish I would have laughed when it was funny. Lost his vision in one of his boxing fights, never told anybody about it. He would travel on African safaris. The president, not scared of anything, not scared of anybody. He was such a man's man, the brother got shot in his chest with a 32 caliber pistol. Shot in his chest just minutes before speech, Trent. Minutes before he was supposed to give a speech, the man was shot in his chest. Bullet lodged in his chest. And he went to the podium to give his speech and apologized. Ladies and gentlemen, it appears as though I've been shot in the chest. So this speech is going to be a little shorter than what it was planned to be. Man's just bleeding. Can't you imagine the press like, it's okay. You don't have to speak. But the man was like, I'm going to speak. And 53 minutes later, he was standing in a pool of his own blood. Either he was a man's man or stupid, one of the two. A little bit of both. Can I have an amen? But here's my point about Teddy Roosevelt before we go home. He wasn't always that way. He was destined, but he had to work to get there. What we don't know, because I haven't told you, unless some of you have read up on Teddy Roosevelt. As a child, he was a little mama's boy because he was a weakling and he was sick. He had asthma so bad that doctors pretty much gave up on him ever becoming anything other than just bedridden. He was weak, frail. But yet somehow or another, he saw what he could be. Miss Karen, he got a glimpse of what could be if he could ever get out of where he was. And Teddy Roosevelt, as a weak little sick boy, determined in his heart that he was going to take control over this body. That this body, this physical challenge, this sickness is not going to keep me from my dreams. Now, however my dreams come about, I can't control all of that, but I definitely am not going to be the reason they don't come to pass. And the man went hardcore crazy exercise 
And Gary, over his lifespan, he became a man's man from one thing, and that was determination, drive, a burn down deep within to overcome. And I want to close this Father's Day sermon with looking every single man in the eye in this room. None of us are perfect. None of us are without weaknesses. There's not a man in this room that has it all together. So let's just settle the issue. We are what we are and who we are. But if we'll put God in our lives when he's for us, what can come against us? If we'll put him in our hearts, Aaron, if we'll put him in our hearts, Manning, if we'll put God at the very center, at the core of our very being, all the disabilities we have, all of the setbacks we face, all of the challenges that are real that we have to deal with, they don't have to break us. And they don't have to hold us back and keep us back. Because when God's for us, who can be against us? If it's not you, then who? And if it's not now, then when? Are you wanting someone else to take the lead over your life and family? Are you looking for a better day? Are you waiting for more money? Are you waiting for more education? Are you waiting for better breaks? Listen to me. None of us are victims in this room. None of us have to be held back in this room. Take life by the horns because you have a destiny about you. You have a future about you. God wants to conform you to the image of Jesus. But just as you're destined, your faith it wakes up every morning and it goes to work. Your faith be believes, it reaches, it tries for more. So reach up with the presence of God in your life and let's make it happen. The video said it best. You've got this. You've got this. Stand with me this morning. Let's clap our hands to the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Come on, somebody, clap your hands to the Lord. Woo! Yes, sir. All over this room, bow your heads. And I make a special call to the men in this room. If you're in the house today, you men that are represented, and you know without a shadow of a doubt, that you know, that you know that you know that you're destined for greater. I want you to lift your hands because I want to pray over you. You know that you know that you know you're destined for more, for greater. Do you believe it? Do you believe it enough to rift your hand? Do you believe it enough to believe this and receive this prayer? On this Father's Day, Lord, I pray for every man that has his hand up. These men see it in their faith. These men believe it by faith that they are going to receive more. They're going to be blessed greater. They're going to be greater in, in every area of their lives. Everything their hand touches, it's going to be blessed. Those that look to them in love, they're going to love more. Those that need forgiveness from these men, they're going to offer it. And those that need to be forgiven, they're going to receive it. The men that are in this room, Lord, with their hands lifted up, they need more of you and they're going to experience more of you because they're admitting, God, that they are on the receiving end of all of your good gifts and they're going to stir up that gift. They're going to fan the flames until it's burning bright 
I bless the men of this church on this Father's Day. And I bless all the beautiful women and children and young people alike. Be glorified as we seize our moment in Jesus' name. And let everybody say amen. On behalf, on behalf of Calvary Church, happy Father's Day. We have an incredible gift for all the men today. And that is it's 1214 and you're dismissed. I love you. God bless you. You're dismissed today.